Well, good morning. That's a good way to start a Sunday service. Let me tell you something, man. I'm, I'm just listening to this song, and I'm not sure if you're catching the words behind it or not. But I remember the day when I had chains all over the place, man. I was shackled up. But that day has ended. That day is over. So today, regardless of whether I've had a good week or not, man, I can celebrate that. Because he has taken all the chains. They are gone. This is a good day to praise the Lord. Because he has taken our chains away. That's who he is. Wow. Can we say amen to that? Whew. There's power in the name of? There's power in the name of? Amen. There is so much power in his name. You know, where's Gord Mitchell? There he is. Come here, Gord. Yeah, you. Come here. I love coming to church, but I love it even more when one of the first things I hear on a Sunday morning is a testimony of what God is doing. And Gord found me this morning and shared a testimony, and I said, you got to share this first because let me tell you, man, sometimes we need a little faith kick, right, to remember who our God is. And these testimonies give us that little kick to remember who he is. So, Gord, why don't you share a little bit of your testimony? So I've been sitting in a hotel room in Rocky this week on Tuesday night, and I needed, I was having some issues on some Apple issues, and so I, uh, I phoned Apple Care. And uh, l- lately, the last few months or years, I've been on a little bit of a journey, how to share your faith without feeling so religiosity. And so, uh, so I'm talking to this lady, and I'm like, uh, then there was a bit of time lapse between you had to shut down your computer, restart, and I find out she's from Pennsylvania, and so we're talking. I said, so what's, uh, what, what do you do in Pennsylvania? What's happening? She says, well, I, I study human behavior, and I study history. And I said, well, what do you study? And she's saying this and that and the other, and, and she goes on to tell me that she's been a Mormon and a... Um, Another religion she had studied there, too. She was studying different things. And I said, oh, wow, that's amazing. And she said, how about you? And I, she said, do you study anything? I said, you know, I study history, too. I said, uh, she said, what kind of history do you study? I said, you know, I love biblical history. I, I love what, what happened 2,000 years ago and how it still has an amazing effect on our lives today. And, uh, and she's like, well, tell me more. So I, I, you know, I just share some very practical, factual stuff. And, and uh, I was able to share with her the story of the woman that came to the well. I said, you know, she had met Jesus there, and Jesus knew her future or her past. And, and um, I said, you know, and it was one of those moments you just feel God's using you, right? And she told me her name. Now, don't, don't pull it up yet. Um, she told me her name. Her name is uh, Shanika. And I said, oh, that's a great name. And so we're talking. I'm sharing, you know, with her, and I'm encouraging her. And uh, I said, you know, you're, you're, I said, like, that woman was thirsty when she came to the well. I said, you, you sound like you're thirsty. And she said, I am thirsty. I'm searching. I'm looking. I said, and so I was able to just share, you know, what? I said, I really believe this is a God thing where God is trying to speak to you. And, and he's using me to, 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 to show you the light. I said, you got, that's an amazing name. I said, what does your name mean? And she said, I don't know. I said, well, she ended up Googling it as we're speaking it. So her name means Shaniqua, an African language meaning God is gracious. Indian name meaning beautiful or beautiful spirit. And I said, Shaniqua, I said, this is amazing. I said, we're having this moment. I said, I, I believe God's speaking to you. And now you're finding out your meaning of your name is God is gracious. And she was just sort of quiet, and we're talking, and it was just an amazing time. I said, Shanika, can I pray with you? This is Apple Care, right? This is an answering service out of wherever. And she says, yeah. So I prayed with her and just spoke the love of God over her, and I just said, Shanika, I highly encourage you to go and find a body of believers. I I, I encourage her to go to a Pentecostal. She said, you know, as a kid, I went to a Baptist church, and she got bored with it, and... uh, Whatever. I said, you know what? You need to find a Bible, believe in church, and, and go there. And I said, you will be filled up. This thirst you've been looking for, this history, this study of human behavior. I said, he wants to meet your need. I said, God is gracious. 
God is gracious to you. So, so it's amazing. So if, if you're comfortable, I just want you to stretch your hands and think of her because Gore's going to pray for her now too, right? We need to do that. We need to pray for her too. Amen. God, it's so cool that we can meet as believers here, Lord, and we can pray for Shanika in Pennsylvania who's searching and looking for you and who's thirsty. So, Father, we lift up Shanika to you right now, God, that she would be overwhelmed by the power of God, overwhelmed by the love of God. We pray you'd give her direction, God, direct her steps and her paths, Lord, that she would find a body of believers, God, and that you would fill her up and she would remember that that moment. God, I just pray for her right now over her protection and that she could find that way and that, God, you would meet her in a very special way. So we just lift up Shanika to you right now and ask you to take care of your daughter in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, let's give the Lord a clap offering. That's pretty good. Wow. Thank you, Lord. You know, this stuff, it's going to start to become normal again. Let me say that again. This is going to become normal again. Now, I may never have an issue with an Apple person because I'm an Android guy. But I'm telling you something, man. These phone calls, these moments are not just moments to fix your phones, to do this, to do that. They can be kingdom moments if we're listening to the Spirit of God. And I think that's just awesome. For th- so thanks for sharing that. I just want to read a passage, then we're going to go back into worship. It's out of Psalms 27. It's about eight verses. How many love the Word of God? Good, because I'm going to read some of it. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord protects me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to destroy me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will know no fear. Even if they attack me, I remain confident. The one thing I ask, Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfection and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy singing and praising the Lord with music. Listen to my pleading, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. May that be our response today. Is the Lord wants to come and talk to him, may our response be right now, Lord, I am coming. Lord, I am coming. So, Father, as we go into worship... We know you are our protector. We know you love us. We know we are in the right place. And right now we say, we are coming too. We are coming to you, Father, because we love you. And you are worthy of your worship. Let's worship him this morning. You know, there's a freedom available for each one right now in this room. Regardless of what stage of the journey you're on. You know, I feel for someone here, you're going, I don't have a clue what you guys are doing. (laughs) What's this church thing about? Well, it's okay to be in that stage, but I feel like God is saying to you right now, there's a freedom available to you if you want it. There's actually a doorway right in front of you if you're willing to take it. And I see the Lord saying he wants you just to walk through that door and start the process of seeing what he can do for you. I walked through that door at 17 years of age, and it's changed everything in my journey. And then I sense there's others in here. It's, I've been in this journey for a while. This freedom thing, man, it's a tough battle. 
it's a tough battle. You know, Kathleen shared something with me that was really interesting. She, she said she had this picture of a car wash, and, and these cars, they, they just need to go through the car wash, and it'll do all the cleaning for you. And as she shared that, I realized God is actually sharing that right now. He is. But you got to go all the way through to get fully clean. You see, sometimes we want to go part way and we think, that's it. We're done. We want to take that quick trip. But, I mean, this journey doesn't end until we go to heaven. And he fully wants to clean us. I welcome the cleaning of the Lord. I just welcome the cleaning of the Lord, Father. Father, I want that freedom. If you want that freedom, just stretch your hands to him right now. Father, I want that freedom. There are so many areas where I'm still locked up. And I realize, Father, it's just a process of going through with you and not stopping. Not stopping and not stopping because you are there. You are a faithful God. I will not believe the lies of the enemy. You are faithful. You are faithful. You are faithful. And, Father, we will continue to go forward in Jesus' name. And, Father, for the ones in here that may not know you, it's a simple process. It's just saying, Jesus, I want you in my heart. I want you in my heart. I want things to change. I want you in my heart. And if you can say those words, he will come in your heart, and he will start the process where you can be free from the bondage, the chains, and the sin. He wants to do that today. So, Father, right now we say yes, regardless of where we're at. We say yes in Jesus' name. We say yes in Jesus' name. It's a simple three-letter word. Yes. Yes, God, I choose to go forward. Yes, God, I choose to believe. Yes, God, I choose to say yes and let you in my heart. Yes, God, I refuse to allow the enemy to bring so much discouragement that I shut down. It's yes, yes, and yes. So, Father, we choose to say yes and believe in you because you are the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. There is no other way. This is the only way. So we say yes in Jesus' name. And can we say amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap offering. He's a good God. So let's welcome my wife as she comes and preaches. Good morning. I'm going to pray first. Holy Spirit, I'm just so thankful that you put words in my mouth, that you put life in my spirit, that you put life in these bones, that you've changed my thinking, that you've healed my body. I thank you for this testimony that overcomes through Jesus' blood and through my testimony. And I just pray today, God, that the spirit of overcoming would fall in this place and we'd be touched by it today and we'd be inspired by that today. And I just yield to you, Holy Spirit. I yield to what you want to do. I ask that you just um, take captive my thoughts and that you'd be in charge of these words. I give up my agenda and I just release you into this place in Jesus' name. It says in your word that what we loose here on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so I just want to do that today. I want to release and loose the Holy Spirit in this place in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay, so yeah, Africa. That was pretty cool. Um, I, I want to tell you a little bit of a story and I want to encourage you today. I want to bring hope to your hearts and I want to bring hope to your thinking, and I want to uh, begin to pull out hope in your spirits today. And so the, the title of my message is Growing in Hope While Trusting in the Test. Doesn't that sound so exciting? So let me start off by saying, um, for, for those of you maybe that don't know me, are there visitors here today? Just put up your hand really quick. Hello, 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 hello. Oh, yeah, there's quite a few. So I am Jen Bannis, and uh, I am wife to Pastor Chris, who is also known as Pastor Handsome, but maybe just call him Pastor Chris. Um, and uh, we've been married for almost 22 years, I think. 
I think, 22 years. Uh, I married him when I was 20 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. In fact, I remember uh, when, I, when we first got engaged and I started attending community church. I had been attending my church in Mill Woods. Um, uh, as the pastor at the time, the senior pastor at the time, would close the service in prayer, I would quietly <laughs> sneak out of the service and go hide in the bathroom stalls, um, <laughs> in the bathroom, until the crowds kind of cleared out because I was so overwhelmed with this job of being a pastor's wife. I had no idea what I was doing. But God was so gracious, and um, he healed my wounds. He taught me what it meant to be a child of God. And um, just so you know, I don't run to the bathroom anymore. Um, at the end of service, although I have had two children, I drink a lot of water. And so if you see me around you the bathroom, it's for legit reasons. But, um, but, uh, you know, so we've been married for 22 years. We spent a little bit of time overseas in Uganda and, uh, that just really put a, um, a huge heart in me for, um, refugees, orphans, widows, and the traumatized. Um, and so, uh, a number of years ago now, I felt the the Lord call me to become ordained and to also go back to school um, and become a clinical counselor. And so um, after years of (laughs) grueling school, just don't do it if you don't have to, that's all I'll say. Um, um, I'm now a clinical counselor, and um, we are in the process as a church of opening up a wellness center on the second floor of this church, where we're going to be a city on the hill. And, and what we're going to do is, is we're going to bring in all sorts of um, qualified individuals that love Jesus and love people, and we're going to be a bridge to the community. We're going to bring them resources that they need, and we're going to bring them the love and the light of Jesus Christ. And so keep your eyes and ears open because uh, we're in the process of renovating at the moment. But I, I kind of figure by about late spring, that wellness center is going to be open. And the other aspect that is so exciting for me in the wellness center is going to be a refugee welcome space. And I feel like just having come from the refugee camps where we were in Uganda, I'm all fired up about this and so excited about how we can um, touch displaced people and give them family and give them home and a place to land. So that's a little bit about me. Um, Just to start off, let me tell you a little story about um, uh, as a little girl. So... um, in my early childhood, my parents were not Christians. And uh, I, maybe a word that I would use to describe my early childhood was chaos. It was, it was chaotic. Um, I was neglected. And um, I, I didn't often feel safe. And it wasn't a place that I necessarily caught identity. And so I began this search as a little girl for meaning and purpose and connection and identity. And for me, there was this stirring in my spirit, even as a young girl before we started attending church, towards God, towards Christianity. And I would say that maybe the reason why that was was because um, around me there was a lot of Christians, and my parents had come from a Christian upbringing. So there was that There was that coming down the family line. And so I began to seek out God. I didn't know how to do that. Nobody had taught me how to do that, but I began to seek him out. And you know, I did find God. I found him. Just like the scripture says, you seek God and you will find him. Seek me and I will be found. And uh, one of the experiences that I did have was right around the time um, when the terrible famine was happening in Ethiopia. And I was totally clueless as to anything that was going on overseas, as I suppose a lot of young children are. And um, I saw uh, maybe a UNICEF, I think it was UNICEF commercial about what was going on in Ethiopia, and I was totally devastated. I had never seen pictures like this before in my life of children starving and families suffering and no food, and, and I was devastated. Devastated. So I went into my bedroom, and I laid on my bed, and this was really at a time when I was, I wanted to connect with God. And I laid down in my bed, and I had a vision. 
And it was the first vision I had ever had. And I had a vision of me standing in a refugee camp preaching. And I was quoting the scripture verse, all who are hungry. <laughs> you're, all, you're all, yeah? All who are hungry. And, and, and that scripture verse goes on to say, all who are thirsty. And, and it's this invitation to come to the Lord. Now, I'd never read that scripture verse before. And actually, later on in my life, I read it for the first time, and I went, whoa, that's a real thing. You know, like, those were cool words, but this is scripture. And so here in my vision, I'm standing in this refugee camp, and I'm preaching to these people. If you're hungry, come and eat. Be satisfied. If you're thirsty, come and drink. Come to the Father. Um, And so, eventually... My family gave their lives to the Lord. And our household, it was transformed. I remember watching my mom get baptized. And this is the same woman. I watched do drugs, get high, um, have parties at our house. And this woman was on fire for God. I watched my mom get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I watched my father. um, You know, he, he didn't come to church with us at first. But when he did come, that man was sold out for Jesus. Um, he actually became Jesus in our, in our Easter plays that we did every year. And I remember about six weeks before, he'd go on a diet so that while he was hanging in his, like, loincloth on the cross, he'd have this, like, six-pack. And then afterwards, he'd start eating again, you know. So he did that for about five years in a row. It's very challenging, right? So, um, so our, our family did come to know the Lord, and there was this transformation that happened. But there was this vision that had really just shaken me up and stirred me up. And it was like, I'm going to Africa. And I'm going to preach. And I'm going to go to the refugee camps. But I didn't know when. And I didn't know how. And as many of you know, I actually ended up going to Africa with my husband and my two children. And I did not preach in a refugee camp. That whole time we were there, I worked with orphans. We worked with widows. We... um, taught them how to sing and dance. And let me just say, white girl can't dance, so it really wasn't me teaching me to dance. Um, and, and we took them on tour as a, as a choir. But I did not preach in the refugee camps. And uh, we went there when I was, what, 29 years old. So it took a long time before that vision, that promise, before that anointing was going to come to fruition. And let me tell you, the space between that vision and the fulfillment of that was really long and really challenging. And so the other night, I was just writing down some of the things that I've been through over the course of the, how many years? What's 42 minus 6? 30-something. 30-something. What is it? That's a long time. So I had an abusive teacher in elementary school. Because of that, I developed a sleeping disorder. I was abused in my childhood. I had terrible nightmares. I was visited by demons at night. I battled with terrible, horrifying fear um, to the point where I wondered if I was going to be murdered. I suffered tragic death through murder, suicide, overdose of many family members and friends. I developed something called severe performance orientation. That is not a fun one. I had two terrible chronic illnesses. I was diagnosed with three different types of depression, anxiety and OCD. Now, does that sound like a preacher to you? Does that sound like someone you would want preaching in a refugee camp? I don't know. Um, You know, so I was going through this list, and I was thinking, wow, I have been really tested. And that's just kind of the big things that I wrote down, you know? Like, you know, all those little things throughout your day that kind of batter at you. Those challenges, those, those fights in your marriage. I mean, not that Chris and I ever fought or anything, but, you know. Like those of you that have done that or whatever. But those things that batter you down day after day, year after year. And, and you know, to be honest with you, um, as the years went on and as I battled through these challenges, 
my faith was being tested. And that seed of hope was being tested. And I needed God to come through for me and teach me some really valuable things in those times because these things, they're actually valuable and they're meaningful and they're for a purpose. But sometimes you have to dig deep to find those meanings and that purpose, you know? And so I just kind of want to go through a couple themes that I felt that God was working out in me from age six till I made it to that refugee camp. Why God made me wait to see the fruit of that. And so the first one is I had to learn how to love death in Christ. Um, I'm going to read you from my diary. Whoa. This is something that I wrote when we were in Africa the first time. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, man, it was so brave of you to go to Uganda and to care for orphans and to bring your two babies along with you. And, and every time people say that, I think, I was totally terrified. I had no idea what I was doing. And I have proof of it in my diary. <laughs> so this is April 28th, 2005. Um, where shall I start? It's all so dramatic. Okay, so uh, just to give you some background, I've been trying to talk with my mom on the phone. Back, you know, back then, the power would cut out all the time, and it was my first conversation with a North American, and I was so excited, and it wasn't working. So I say, I hung up the phone, and I just started to cry. Kaylin was in his room being punished again, and Mally was with Chris. I turned on I Surrender. You know that song? That's a good song when you're in Africa. And I just told God the truth. You know what? I don't want to be here, God. I want to go home. And and this was the honest truth coming from my heart. In my heart and mouth, I was saying, I absolutely am not doing this a second time. I am going to go home, and I'm going to be home for good. I refuse I felt so broken and overwhelmed. I knew that I had rebellion in my heart and even anger at Chris and God for bringing me to Africa. Then in his still, small voice, the Lord said, Jen, do you know what you're called to? Do you know what this is? It's death. Death to bring life. He told me that I was called to a life of death. That was my destiny. Incredibly, this has brought me great comfort and peace. You know what? I can relinquish myself to that. I don't know why, but I trust my father. I know his death brings life, character, depth, freedom, change, and purpose. If this is my season of death, I'm going to walk it. Only by God's grace, though. Now, let me read you a couple scripture verses about this just to prove I'm not making it up. Philippians 1.21. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to it? It's short and sweet. For to love is Christ and to die is gain. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, I know I'm going fast. Hope you can keep up. That our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Finally, 2 Corinthians 4.11. 
for we who live are constantly, constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So here's the deal. I get this vision as a six-year-old of preaching to a refugee camp. But you know, there was a lot of things in my flesh that needed to die. I needed to know that it was Christ first. I needed to die to my flesh. I needed to die to fear. I needed to be healed of my wounds. I needed to die to my right to things. And I needed Jesus to be first. I needed to be able to declare with faith and with all of my heart that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Dying to myself was to live. And I needed to come to terms with that before I went and preached in a refugee camp where their lives have been in mortal danger and they were traumatized. How could I bring life in a refugee camp if I couldn't even let my fear be put to death? That doesn't work. Okay, something else that was very much tested in me in these 30-some years was learning that my gifts are really not as important as my character is. So, we, you know, we hear Pastor Mark say this a lot. Don't let your gifts take you to places that your character can't handle. And so this sort of rolls into my theme of performance orientation. Here I was a kid that had been wounded and hurt, and I had learned to behave well and to perform well to earn love. And the better I performed, the less at risk I was of being rejected, being judged, being exposed. And so I became this singer that would come on stage, and the people would love me. And it felt so good, but it was also so terrifying because if I made a mistake, if a note was off, if I was off that day, then I would be judged. And that is a difficult way to practice relationship is when you take your gifts and you use them to have relationship with others. Our gifts are meant to draw people to Jesus Christ. Our gifts are meant to give God glory, and that is it. And I had to learn that. Um, so, this lesson for me about my character being more important than my gifts became about everything being rooted in love. So, because of this performance orientation, um, my tendency would be to give and give and give and give because I was afraid of being rejected. And so that intention wasn't pure because it wasn't out of a heart of love. It wasn't out of a heart of good intention. And it most certainly wasn't out of an overflow of my own experience of God's love. And so I want to read you more scripture. Oh, look, it's double-sided. I didn't even know I did that. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13. We all... I shouldn't say that. Mostly we all know it. Maybe some of you don't. That's okay. I feel like, you know what, let me read it. This is the New Living Translation. And I like it. Oh, love is the greatest. That's the title. Come on. Uh, First Corinthians 13, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nada. Well, it actually says nothing, but love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice 
about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Boom! Pa-rach. And in another translation, it says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. And I had all these things, but I think the, the element that was missing was love, this, this pure, amazing love that we see coming from the cross. And what does it say in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. Man, that is love. I would not give up Kalen. I just wouldn't. So I'm not there yet. This scripture, which for some reason I don't have written where it comes from. It comes from the Bible, I'm pretty sure. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what message that says to me? I don't need to perform for love. And I don't need to ask others to perform for love. And this is a huge lesson for me because that, that's actually a paradigm shift. I don't have to earn anything from God. You don't have to earn anything from God. This is a free gift, so I, I don't have to do the work. You don't have to do the work. He did the work on the cross. And if I could not grasp that, if the root of everything I did wasn't love, could I go to a refugee camp and preach hope? Where was I going to find that from? Did I have the energy or the strength or the ability to stir that up in my own life to love the hundreds of traumatized individuals? No, I don't. I don't. Finally, no, not finally. There's two more points. I'm not finished here. Um, I had to learn how to bring my spirit forward above everything else, ahead of everything else, and harness my thoughts. So in counseling, uh, uh, and there, there's this type of counseling called cognitive behavioral therapy. And, and in the counseling room, we often say, your thoughts aren't always accurate, and your feelings aren't always accurate. And I like to add to that, that the Holy Spirit is always accurate. So, you know, we can go through the list of some of the things I've battled in my life. OCD, um, nightmares, demonic visitation, abuse, fear, violence, performance orientation, three different kinds of depression, blah, 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 blah. Do you know what I had to do? I, I had to come to a place where I surrendered my broken mind and my wounded emotions to the Holy Spirit. I had to surrender that. I had to pour myself out before God and lay myself at the altar, and I had to release those things to Jesus, and I had to pull on my spirit, because who's in me? Christ is in me. And I had to pull that forward, and it had to begin to lead my thoughts, and my emotions. And, and when I did that, when I started doing that on a regular basis, here's what started happening. My thoughts became clear. Truth from the word began to have rain. My emotions began to be healed. And, and depression started to lose its hold on me. And OCD was something that 
I could manage. But not only that, I started to have a different perspective about people around me. Because if my spirit isn't forward, and I'm not leading according to the will of the Holy Spirit, and his kingdom isn't coming, and his will isn't being done in my life as it is in heaven, then I lead according to my truths and my wounds. And that has a very damaging effect on people. And so do you think that it would be a good idea for God to have released early that seed in me to preach in a refugee camp when I had this kind of woundedness in my mind and in my emotions? I know you know the answer. It's no. But man, what a test that was. I can tell you, I have a a memory of um, one night laying in bed, having fallen asleep, and a demon of murder coming into my bedroom and harassing me. And that was one of the most discouraging and intimidating moments of my life. I could not even open up my mouth and speak. And I felt so afraid. And I thought I was going to lose my life. And, and I realized that ever since God had put that seed in me, the enemy had been trying to destroy me, whether it be physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He had been trying and trying and trying and trying to destroy me. But, you know, God's word prevailed. God's word prevailed. God's word was in me. Jesus was in me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for you, who can be against you? You know, I can tell you right now, sometimes those demons try and visit me, and now I I just roll over in bed and sort of go, ugh, I'm going back to bed. You know, like, ugh, I just need to sleep. And why is that? Because I had to contend by pulling my spirit forward and pulling from that deep well of truth and promise that comes from the word of God. That's where we find our hope. That's where we find our salvation. That's where we find the energy and the power to overcome the works of the enemy. He is trying to rob you of your hope all the time. He's trying to steal the seed that's in you. If you will pull your spirit forward and you will dig deep into that well of truth that you have, you will overcome. So let me just read you some more scriptures. 2 Corinthians 10 Five, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Man, I do this every day. Every time those thoughts come in, every time that OCD wants to visit me, every time that sense of that fog of depression that wants to fall on me, Every time that fear rises up that that was attached to performance orientation, I just have to mm, ram that thought down and take it captive and submit it to Jesus Christ. And I have to rely on the truth that Jesus has given me through the word. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. I'm going to say that again. His will for you is good. It's pleasing, and it is perfect. It's perfect. So... The battle of my mind is a very real thing. Um, I took a, 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 what is it called, a, this test once. Um, it's like a personality test or a gift, gifting test. And my, my most powerful gift is intellection, which is basically I love to think. I'm really good at thinking. 
So you can imagine how, how much the enemy has tried to batter that. Because if he can take my mind and he can distort my thinking and he can overwhelm my thoughts, then my emotions become overwhelmed and then my behavior follows suit. But when I pull my spirit forward and I yield those thoughts to Jesus, my emotions are in line and my responses are powerful. Change your thoughts, change your life. This is something I have been tested in. Finally, legit finally. I have had to learn how to tap into hope despite my circumstances. And I've had to learn how to preach hope out loud to myself, to my circumstances, to the people around me, to my children, into the atmosphere. So I want to tell you, um, one of the things that I do as a counselor is I do something called trauma-informed counseling. So in my training as a counselor, I can have someone come in that's been through trauma, and we do some assessments to see what kind of trauma they've been through, and then we adjust the counseling to help that individual recover from their trauma. Now, in my training... I learned two totally fascinating things. The two most important elements that you need as a trauma therapist. The two most important elements you need if you're walking with people with trauma. The two most important elements that you need if you've been through trauma. The two most important elements that you need if you are being tested in your faith, if you're trying to find hope, is connection. Powerful, loving, unconditional connection. Connection to Jesus Christ and connection to others. The second most important, most powerful remedy for trauma is hope. Now, I've learned a lot of things in terms of counseling the traumatized, and I have all these skills, but without hope, it's not going to work. And so for me, I've been on this journey of, okay, what does it actually mean to know hope and express hope? When you sit down with someone and they're telling you their story of struggle, their story of survival, how do you say, there's hope? I I can believe for you for the future. Uh, I, I see beyond this. How do you express that? And i got to be honest with you. When I first started counseling, there were times when clients would come in and I would think, um, uh, that's pretty intense. Okay. Is it going to be very empty right now if I say there's hope? And so I had, to, I had to pull that spirit forward again. And I had to really figure out if in my journey as a Christian, had I actually found hope? Do we actually have the spirit of hope in us? Can you actually say that you can speak hope to yourself when you're being tested? Can you speak hope into other people's life? Can you speak hope even when, man, the circumstances, they say otherwise. And so here's what I've discovered. Is that I know without a shadow of a doubt. I know without a shadow of a doubt that there is hope because I have Jesus I want that to impact you right now. If you have Jesus, you have hope. You know, a lot of times we feel like we need to be really eloquent 
that we need to be really anointed, that our gifts need to pull down from heaven something that will save these people from their distress. But you have Jesus. You have the Son of God inside of you. You have the blood of Jesus Christ that overcame death. You have the anointing of Jesus Christ. You've got the power of heaven inside of you. And that is the the only hope that you need right now. Okay. So scriptures are pretty clear on this. Lamentations 3.22 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Whether there's cancer in the room, whether there's trauma in the room, whether your finances are a mess, whether your marriage is a hot mess, whether you've got sickness and OCD and depression and anxiety, the steadfast love of the Lord never, ever ceases. It never ends. It hasn't stopped. God's love has not stopped. It has continued to pour from heaven over and over and over again. His mercies never come to an end. If you need mercy in your life, ask for it, and it is yours. They're new every morning. When you wake up, the mercy's there, the love is there, great is his faithfulness. Okay, this is something I've been declaring. Psalm 52.8, I'm like an olive tree, thriving in the house of God. I will always, I will always, I am always going to trust in God's unfailing love. I want you to find that in your Bible, Psalm 52.8, and I want you to declare it over yourself over and over and over again. I'm like an olive tree. I thrive in the house of God. I'm staying in the house of God. I'm not leaving the house of God. I'm running into the house of God. I'm welcome in the house of God. And I'm always going to trust in his unfailing love. Despite my circumstances, despite what I'm being tested in, because I know that God is building my character and he's giving me thick skin and broad shoulders so that I can go to a refugee camp and I can preach hope. So that you can go into your workplace and you can preach hope. So that you can speak over your kids when they're sick and they can be healed. So you can walk the streets of Spruce Grove and lead people to Jesus. So that your businesses can prosper. So that God can be given glory. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change, like shifting shadows. Do you know what changes? My thoughts change. My emotions change. My circumstances change. Uh, sometimes I'm like a wave of the sea, tossed to and fro, but God doesn't change. And that's why we have hope. Because he's never changed since the beginning of time, and he's not going to change, and he is for you. Now, I, I will ask it again. Could I have preached any of this if I had not been through this testing? I don't think so. You know, when we came into that refugee camp, and, and we started hearing the stories of what these people had been through, it was devastating I mean, as a counselor and as a pastor, we hear really tough things. And I've been through really tough things. But whew, that, that, that stuff was tough. It was hard. And I can tell you right now that if I had not been through the kind of timeline, the kind of life that I've been through in Jesus Christ and that testing that God was having me go through and where I had to dig so deep for hope and where I had to find my hope in Jesus, I couldn't have got up in front of them after hearing all of that and preached the message of hope that I was able to preach to them. Do you know what I could say to them? I could say to them, when I was six years old, I had a vision that I was going to preach in a refugee camp a message of hope. I'm 42 years old, and the enemy nearly destroyed me in those years. But no, God loved you so much. He had such a message of hope for you that he brought me here to preach to you today. Can you imagine what that was like for them to hear that? That some of them who, who hadn't even been born yet, God was 
preparing to speak to them that night. That some of them that were babies and experiencing trauma were going to meet with God that day. God planned that and he prepared it. But he loved them enough, he cared about them enough to not release me before my time, before I was ready. Now, how does that even relate to what you're going through right now? I want to say to you that you are all being tested. And in this life, you will have many trials. But God is for you. He is not against you. If you are finding it difficult to see the purpose and the hope in what you're going through, if you are finding it difficult to see beyond the moment, if you're finding it difficult to be patient and wait, if your days are challenging because you don't know what's ahead, I want to tell you that God is not finished with you yet. There is a beautiful purpose in everything he is doing in your life. His mercies are new to you every single morning. His faithfulness is so great. Can I just ask you, surrender to the work of God in your life. Don't fight it. Surrender. I think the reason why it took me till I was 42 to preach in a refugee camp was because I fought him a lot of the time. I resisted him. I wanted to compute my way out of it. I wanted to intellectually find a solution. Um, I was ashamed. It was hard for me to confess my brokenness to God. I was scared of being vulnerable before him. But when I surrendered, whew, something happened. You heard me read in my diary. I went from a bit of a raving lunatic to having this faith, this strength, this hope, dignity, because I surrendered. And let me tell you, when you hand over this life of yours to Christ and you choose to die, you will live. You will be restored. You'll be lifted up. You'll be renewed. You'll have joy. You'll have thanksgiving. That There's a seed in each and every one of you. I can, I can see it. I look at you and I see seed in your life. And it is being nurtured by the great hand of God. It is covered by the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Oh, the counsel that he is bringing to you the nurture that he is bringing to you, the wisdom that he's bringing to you. You know what? It doesn't matter how you feel right now about that. It is the truth. I know some of you are saying, I don't feel like that. Yeah, I know how that feels. But God is for you. And he wants to birth hope in you through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, before I go on, I just want to say this. If you're here today, and you've never welcomed Jesus Christ into your life, I encourage you to do that today. I actually think that I couldn't have made it without Jesus. Actually, let me just say, I know I couldn't make it without Jesus. But more than just, I need him for survival, Jesus Christ is the abundant life. Jesus Christ forgives you of your sin. Jesus Christ pulls you into a relationship with God. And he gives you heaven on earth for today. And so I just want to say, if that's something you've never done before, or that's something you need to do, do it right now. Don't wait. Pull your spirit forward and take charge of your life by letting Jesus take charge. And secondly, I want to say to you all, I thought about you a lot when I was in Africa. I thought about you when I was preaching in front of those ladies. And I actually longed to be with you. My heart longed to be with you. I want to say to you that God loves you, that there is hope. 
I want to invite you to pull your spirits forward right now. Learn how to do that. I believe that God wants to remind you of the seed that he planted inside of your life. All those promises. You know, I forgot for years about this seed, this promise. I literally forgot about it until I arrived in Africa. And I was sitting in in Kampala with a little girl that had just been rescued from the Congo, whose parents had been killed. And God said, Jen, remember the vision? And I went, oh my goodness, I forgot. The years of toil, my striving, my distractions, I just sort of forgot. And he said to me, "Mm, girl, he said just like that, "Mm, girl, it's time. It's time. And so let me say to you, it is time to remember the seeds that have been planted inside of you. And you know what? It's time to marry that seed with hope. And it's time to marry that seed with the love of God. And it's time to marry that seed with faith. Do you want to do that today? Yeah, I do too. I'm going to have you stand up. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm so excited. Hope gives me so much excitement. We bow our heads before you, Lord. And we stand in this holy, sacred place. Our feet are on holy ground. This is sacred. I declare over these people, and I pull out of the ground hope, 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 hope. I call it out of you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I declare a revelation of the love of the Father that has no end. And if you just want to receive from heaven, just hold your hands out and get ready for the weight of heaven to come. Let it come right now. Let the weight of the love of the Father come. He just wants to fall on you. And give you an understanding of the depth of his love. Nothing, nothing is greater than his love. Revelation. I speak to your emotions. Oh, I just speak love into your emotions. And alignment with the love of Christ in your emotions. Where you've been battered. And where you want truth, I speak the love of Jesus Christ into your emotions. And into your thoughts, I declare heaven, wisdom, the word of God. Let it be brought to your memory from deep within you, from the ancient of days right now. I speak into your thoughts. And I speak into your bodies. Today, I declare healing in Jesus' name over these bodies, over every infirmity, every sickness, every of brokenness in Jesus' name, I declare a healing for you today. And I just say, grab from heaven your healing. Do not be shy. Do not be afraid. But just grab hold of that today. I want to say, God, breathe on the seeds. Breathe on those seeds. Breathe on those seeds. I declare springtime, and they're pushing through the soil, and they're coming to life, and they're being birthed, and they're being brought alive, and they're being brought to remembrance. All those seeds from days past, and from from weeks past, and from months past, and from years past, I just declare an awakening of the seed, and I declare hope. 
that all these years that we've been waiting for that seed to give life, you've been testing us and trying us and changing us and transforming us and filling us up and empowering us and giving us hope for the future. And because of that, this seed, it will not fail and it will not die and it will not be stolen away by the enemy. It will remain deeply rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and it will give life and it will be full and fruitful and it will give a garden to those around them. I thank you so much for this body, Lord. There is more for this body. We are going to move forward in hope. We're going to move forward in love and we're going to move forward in faith. But the greatest of these is going to be love. And we're going to love one another in a way like we never have. And we're not even going to know where it came from because it came from you. And so baptize us in love today, God. Let your banner over us be love. We encounter your love. We encounter your wholeness and your fullness of love today, God. And I just, I just feel like I'm supposed to speak to some of these wounds in the room. And I want to say, man, God sees your wounds. And he has cried over your wounds. And he wants to heal you today. Be brave, my beloved, and open up your heart. Open yourself up to the healing power of God. He wants to heal your wounds. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, God. So pull those spirits forward this week. Pull them forward. Believe that God is doing a good work in you, that every trial and every test is for good. And that you are becoming like new by the power of Jesus Christ. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you with more hope. I bless you with more hope that it is full and overflowing. In Jesus' name. And may it remain in Jesus' name. Bless you. Can we all say amen? That's not bad, eh? She did okay. <laughs> she did pretty good. Something happened in Africa, right? What a blessing. And the thing is, that can happen for all of us, right? The theme in Africa was either discouragement was going to win or faith. It's the same thing here. Who are you going to yield to? One will lift you up and one will bury you, right? We have to refuse to give in to discouragement and let it own our hearts. It's about the faith in Jesus, the faith that we can move a mountain. <laughs> we can move these things out of our life. We've got to believe. Father, I pray a blessing on each one in this house. Father, today may our faith win out. May our faith override our discouragement. And today, may it be a day that we walk into something new with you. In Jesus' name, God, be with us, guide us, lead us. We love you. Amen.